You may have noticed that there's someone else on the stage here with me. This is my son, Silas. We want to thank you for welcoming him. Thank you, Silas, for agreeing to be up on the stage with me. He has no idea why he's up here, aside from the fact that I've asked him to. And uh, it did take some persuasion to, to uh, convince him to come up on the stage. So I'm, I'm grateful that he was willing to, to help me uh, with this particular activity. And uh, so, as I said, they don't know why they're on here. But So here's what I want you to do, Silas. Okay, I want you to turn around. Good. We're, that's a good first. We're well, well on our way. I want you to cross your arms, and I'm going to count to three, and, I'm going to count, and I want you to fall backwards, okay? Now, at this point now, Silas has to make a decision whether or not he's going to trust whether or not I'm going to catch him or not, right? If I don't, the counseling, he'll have to pay for that later. Um, but uh, in this particular case, Silas, I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to want you to fall backwards, and I'm going to catch you, okay? You ready? You already almost started falling. Don't have me counted. <laughs> good, thing I, good thing I'm paying attention. Okay, ready? I'm glad he's so eager to trust me, that he's so willing, prepared that I'm going to tr- catch him. Ready? One, two, three, fall. Good work. Okay. All right. So I, I told you I was going to ask you a couple questions, okay? So here's your mic. Silas, so first of all, did you, the first question I have is, did you have any doubt that I wasn't going to catch you? Um, well, I knew you were going to catch me. Okay. Why? Because um, you're my dad. Okay, that's a good answer. Do you think, Silas, if, if you and I went to Market Mall after church today, and somebody in the, in the mall approached you and said, I don't know you, but I want you to do this. I want you to do the, and, and, and he walked you through the exact same exercise. Do you think that you would be as, as willing to trust that stranger as me? Your own father, your flesh and blood. No. No? Why? Because he's a stranger. Okay. And I don't trust him because I just met him. Okay, fair enough. Okay, Silas, thank you for your help. I appreciate that. You nailed that. Well, last week I talked about the idea that faith was putting your trust into someone or something, whether we put it into ourselves whether we put it in modern science, whether we, talk, whether we put it in money or financial security, or where I think Scripture points us to is to put our faith in Jesus. Faith, though, is believing God's promises, trusting in His faithfulness, and relying on God's character. Let me say that again. Faith is believing God's promises, trusting in His faithfulness, and relying on His character. Now, I wanted to, to start with the passage that Oliver read for us this morning uh, as we continue our series on the armor of God and the shield of faith, because in many ways, there's something significant that happens in this particular passage, but it just it happens so quickly and so subtly that I want to make sure that we don't miss what, what has happened here in this passage. See, it's in this passage that Jesus identifies something in the centurion soldier that the Bible describes as astonishing, or in some translations, amazing, or in the Greek, it's he, Jesus marveled at his faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't usually think, about, think that Jesus would be amazed with me or with anyone, frankly. I mean, I feel like he's got a pretty high standard of what amazing would be. What can you and I do that would amaze the God who created the heavens and the earth? 
What could you and I do that would amaze the God who brought life into existence, who healed the blind and the lame and the dead? Yet here we see that Jesus was astonished at the faith of this Gentile soldier. Now this is actually one of two times that we see Jesus astonished with the actions of people in all of Scripture. In this passage where Jesus was astonished by the centurion's faith, but then we also see it happen in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus is back in his hometown of Nazareth, and Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. It says Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Here we see the same word used in two different contexts where where Jesus is astonished. Jesus marveling at people, but for very different reasons. And these people in Nazareth, who you would think would know Jesus best out of anyone in Israel, they couldn't put their faith in Jesus. Faith is believing, as I said, God's promises, trusting in his faithfulness and relying on God's character. And they couldn't do it. These people who had, who had front row seats to, to, to watch Jesus grow up for nearly 30 years, and yet they couldn't or they wouldn't put their faith in Jesus. And as a result, we read that Jesus was astonished by their lack of faith. He's like, are you kidding me, guys? You know me. And I think it's in this passage, though, that we see the difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. It's in Jesus' hometown that they were able to list off his occupation. Isn't that, isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter? They were able to list off his genealogy. Isn't that, isn't that, we know his brothers and his sisters and his mom, and they had lots of information about Jesus. But they didn't actually know Jesus. The information they had about Jesus hadn't moved the faith needle enough to convince them to fall back and believe in who he was, to put their trust in him. Well, let's contrast that with the scripture that Oliver read for us from, about the centurion soldier. This Gentile who knows Jesus enough that he's willing to put his trust in him. He's willing to secure himself to the promises of the, these teachings that he had just heard come from Jesus' mouth. He's willing to secure himself to Jesus' character enough to let go and trust that Jesus will catch him when he puts his faith in him. Now maybe this soldier had had just sat through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus had just read or just, just preached. And he'd listened to the authority in which Jesus had spoken. Maybe this soldier had seen the ways that that people had been healed, how demons had been exercised. Or maybe it was the way that Jesus just loved people like him. Either way, as Jesus makes his way down the mountain where he had just preached the Sermon on the Mount and and he enters the nearby town of Capernaum, an entourage of Jewish elders approach Jesus. Now these elders in Capernaum, these are probably high-ranking officials within town. Now you've got to know that Capernaum is maybe a town of three, four hundred people. It's a village. And so the, the, the respected leaders or the respected elders of this village came to, to Jesus and they, and they began to try to persuade him 
to come to this centurion soldier's house to heal his servant. And they start by making this case and saying things like, you know, this man, this centurion, he deserves you for, to have you do this. He loves Israel. Now, don't be confused by his Roman armor. Don't be confused by the Roman emblem on his armor. He loves us. He, you know what? He even helped build our synagogue. You know, he's in the Roman army, but he's not an enemy like the Romans are. He's one of the good ones. So, Jesus, you'd really be doing him a solid if he came over to his place and healed his servant. I mean, he's done so much for us. It's the least you could do, Jesus. I mean, he deserves it. So Jesus says, okay, I'll come. And he agrees to come to the house and heal the sick servant. Now, just to be clear here, I'm not convinced that Jesus was actually persuaded by these, these, these elders of, of Capernaum. I think that probably more so that Jesus was just responding out of compassion for this sick servant. But as Jesus approaches the man's house, the centurion soldier sends another entourage out to, to meet Jesus. This time it's a collection of friends. And they pass on this message from the centurion. It says, Jesus, you know what, don't trouble yourself. For I, I, I actually don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, it's such a contrast here, isn't it, between the elders of Capernaum and the, the soldier actually communicating where his heart is at. Is he worthy or is he not worthy? Which one is it? And in this passage, we get a glimpse into the, into the two different mindsets of how often we view God's favor where some people think it's earned, and yet there's others who know that it's not. Where we sometimes think we need to build our spiritual resumes in front of God, we need to show our credentials, we need to somehow persuade God as to why we are so deserving of the things that we ask for or need from Him. You know, I tithe 10%, I attend church weekly, even online. I pray at least three times a day when I eat, and I certainly do, don't do all the bad things that my coworkers or family members do. My parents, they knew you, Jesus. My grandparents, too. In fact, I bet you if we went far enough back, I bet you you probably know some of the people in my, because they follow, we've been following you so long. The centurion, though, recognizes that his resume is meaningless when it comes to the thing of faith. That faith is about the one who is doing the catching. It's all about whether we trust that all those things that we know about Jesus are transferred into a way that impacts and influences our lives. If Silas stood here and said, I trust you, Dad. And I said, okay, great, fall. No. It's not really putting words into action, is he? And the centurion puts his faith, though, on display when he says, Instead, Jesus, instead of coming over to my house, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And it's here that we see the depth of this centurion's faith in Jesus, where he says, your word is enough. He says, whatever you say, it will happen. What I know about you, Jesus, is that if you say someone will be healed, they will be healed. If you say someone will be saved they will be saved. Because there was something about Jesus that the Roman centurion could just, he could just resonate with. You see, this man, 
the centurion could see something in Jesus and appreciate the authority in which he spoke. Centurions, they typically had authority over about 100 other soldiers, 100 men. And he was responsible for their well-being and direction of these men. Centurions who carried the rank very similar to what we would, call, we would consider as a captain, which means that, that the centurion had people over, who had authority over him, but he also had people that he had authority over as well. The centurion, though, received his authority from Caesar. And so if the centurion gave a command to his, to his soldiers, it was, it was as if the command was coming from the mouth of Caesar himself. The same is true for Jesus, just on a much larger eternal scale. We know that Jesus has the authority to do anything he wants. We see evidence of this throughout the Gospels, where he has authority over nature and creation, where he has authority over living creatures. He has authority over life and death. He has authority over angels and demons. And here in this passage, we see he has authority over sickness and health as well. But where does Jesus' authority come from? Where does his influence come from? Because whenever we see Jesus' influence on display, whether it's in his teachings or whether it's in his actions, like his miracles, it's generally preceded with absolute amazement from others questioning, where does his authority come from? We see that his influence, we see his power, we, see the things that, we hear the things that come from his mouth, but how can he do these things? How can he say those things? Authority here is, is a matter of right or privilege. Where the people of Israel would ask, what right does this Jesus have to say the things he is saying? What makes him think it's okay to do the things that he's doing, even on a Sabbath? You see, in that context, whenever rabbis taught, they would often reference other rabbis, quoting other rabbis who were quoting other rabbis, And so the circle of authority often would stay within the rabbinical circle. So people would ask rabbis often as they were teaching, they would say, well, on whose authority do you speak? And they might say, well, I speak under the authority of rabbi so-and-so. Meaning that they are saying that they have been given the seal of approval from that rabbi. And therefore, what, when they do that, when they say, I'm speaking under that person's authority, they're, they're giving credibility. They're, giving, they're, they're saying, I have the authority to teach whatever they have just said. And each of these rabbis would have been given authority also from the Jewish governing body known as the Sanhedrin. And essentially, the Sanhedrin would be a group of individuals who would give rabbis their, their authority, their credentials who would be the ones to to give the seal of approval to their resume. They would give their teaching some weight behind it. It would give some credibility to whatever, whatever they were saying or doing. So when we see questions from the people or the Pharisees questioning Jesus' authority throughout the Gospels, they're asking, well, what rabbi are you referencing here? Who's, help us to understand where you're coming from here so we can, so we can have some context here, who, so we can, we can give you our, our approval or not. They're asking questions like, do the higher authorities like the Sanhedrin, do they know what you're saying or doing? Because certainly some of the things that you're doing, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't approve of. Jesus, though, didn't quote other people. He didn't have to give references from where he spoke. 
or whose words were the rabbi that he had learned under. Jesus says that my authority comes from my Father. My authority isn't from man. My authority is from God. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these, th- these things the Son also does in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. God, Father, has given Jesus not just the power to perform miracles and influence others, but also the authority to do those things too. Jesus' authority alludes to God's right to command and enforce obedience. So when the centurion says, your word is enough, the centurion understands that when Jesus speaks, it happens. Now the distinction here between the authority from Caesar and the authority that Jesus has isn't just from the from isn't just from their, their who they are, but also in their in their scope of influence, but also in their in their character. Astonishing faith, like we see from the centurion, isn't the size or strength of their faith. Jesus tells us that even a little bit of faith can do amazing, astonishing, marvelous things when it's firmly planted in the right person. I'm going to say that again because maybe someone needs to hear that this morning. That even a little bit of faith can do amazing, astonishing, marvelous things when it's firmly planted in the right person. It's faith that's directed and rooted in a God who loves, a God who is kind, a God who is merciful, and a God who protects. See, the more familiar we are with the character of Jesus, the more we become familiar with how able God really is. The better we actually know Jesus makes putting our faith in him an easier decision. In the same way as I asked Silas if he would go to the mall and, and, and he, would, he would trust a stranger to, to, to catch him, and he said, of course not. So why? Well, because he's a stranger. How much more likely are we to trust someone that we actually know as opposed to a stranger? See, the astonishing faith of this centurion was the degree of trust that he placed in who Jesus claimed to be. He knew who Jesus was. It got to the point that the centurion trusted that whatever Jesus said, he knew and believed that it would be fulfilled. I remember when I was 17 years old, my family and I, we, uh, we, we moved up to, to just north of Edmonton and St. Albert. And while we were there, we attended an alliance church. And I was, and for myself personally, I was still very much trying to figure out who I was, where I fit in, and whether Christianity, whether Jesus, whether church was things that I really wanted to secure my life to. So I figured, you know what? Why don't I take a spiritual gifts course? Maybe that'll give me some of the answers that I was looking for. And in many ways, it was really helpful. But my number one spiritual gift at that point was faith. Now, admittedly, I had really no idea what that looked like, what that meant, and, and how it would be exercised in my life. In hindsight, 
as I look back on that, I, I kind of chuckled because in many ways I felt like it was a little misleading because if faith was supposed to be a strength or a gift, who or what was I supposed to put my faith and trust in? Because at that point, I really felt like I had no relationship with Jesus. I didn't know who he was. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. Certainly if I was gifted in falling backwards, I had no idea who was supposed to catch me. So, so over the next number of of weeks, months, years, I tried putting my faith in sports, and friends, and alcohol, and relationships, pornography, money, acceptance. And ultimately, I discovered that the faith that has proven to be dependable, faith that has been consistent, faith that has proven to be real, faith that has proven to reveal to be the thing that will actually catch me when I put my trust in it, is the promises and character of God that are rooted in Scripture. It's been rooted in my understanding of Scripture because it's deepened my relationship with Jesus. I actually begin to, we can actually know who He is. That I actually know who's going to strengthen, guide, and lead me as I follow into His arms with every aspect of, our, of my life. And the same is true for us. As we read Scripture, it helps us to understand who is Jesus. As we read the Old Testament, it points us forward looking towards Jesus. As we read the rest of the, as we read the Gospels, it reveals the, the character, it reveals the person of Jesus. As we read the remaining New Testament, it points back to Jesus to say, this is how we can be in relationship with him. It helps us to get a fuller picture of who Jesus is so that we can put our trust in him and know him more personally and intimately. In the same way that that I stood behind Silas and, and asked him to trust me. The shield of faith calls us to do the same, to put our trust in Jesus. Paul, though, tells us that in Ephesians 6, that for anyone who does decide to pick up the shield of faith needs to be ready to use it. That there's a spiritual battle that exists around us that you and I can't see. Paul writes, in Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reality for all of us, whether we know Jesus or not, whether we know about Jesus or not, whether we follow Jesus, whether we follow Buddha, whether we follow Allah, whether we, you know, we don't follow anything at all, that we will all face personal battles in some form or fashion. Some of those battles will come in the form of a physical affliction. Some of those battles will come in the form of relationships. Others of us will face inter internal battles. That is just part of the brokenness that we live in in this world. We all experience that. No one is exempt from those things. But in this passage from Ephesians 6, Paul warns us that, that if anyone aligns themselves with Jesus, that anyone who trusts Jesus Anyone who intimately knows and follows Jesus is a threat to Satan, and he will do whatever he can to distract us. And maybe, and Paul says, maybe it's by shooting flaming arrows, where things happen at work, or at school, or church, or your neighborhood. And, that is, and, that's just, and that's just enough just to take our eyes off of Jesus, and it's, maybe it's, just more, it's, it's nothing more than a distraction than anything else. Or maybe sometimes we get so occupied in our lives with busyness, 
so that we start to live on our own wisdom. We start to live on our own authority instead of relying on the authority of Jesus in our lives. Paul writes that there are authorities in this passage in Ephesians 6. There's authorities that are against us. These authorities are influences that will seek to distract and destroy and discourage and disrupt whatever Jesus wants to do in our lives. Influences that will create fear and chaos and distraction and pain and sin in our lives. Things that might even maybe seem even somewhat appealing. But those are the things that, that Satan would love for us just to fall backwards into and just get wrapped up in those things instead. Those are the things that maybe seem so enticing, so alluring, so tempting, because something within those worldly influences that Paul lists off in Ephesians 6, something about them is just so appealing, so seductive. Paul says, though, that, there are some, that those are just schemes. Those are schemes that, that the devil uses to, to take our eyes off of, off of what God wants us to do, to take our eyes off of Jesus. So instead, what we do is we actually intentionally strap on the, the shield of faith to begin to resist those flaming arrows of distraction and destruction, discouragement and disruption. <clears throat> so how do we do that today? How do we trust in Jesus with the, as the flaming arrows are shot at us? How do we trust in Jesus with our finances? How do we trust in Jesus with our relationships? How do we trust in Jesus while we're at school? How do we trust in Jesus while we're with our families or waiting impatiently to be with our families? How do we trust Jesus with our salvation or in our workplaces? <clears throat> the first way we can do is this. Learn to discern. Part of the discernment process when it comes to listening to the voice of God happens as we read Scripture, where we study the Bible and invite the voice of Jesus to speak into our lives and allow His authoritative Word to influence our lives. The Bible is the most effective way for us to know Jesus intimately. As I said earlier, it's not just about information, because Jesus' hometown, they knew lots about Him. But, we, but we, you and I read the Bible to know Him, to know Jesus. Another way we learn to discern is by being with other people who are doing the same thing. Spending time with people who are seeking to know Jesus intimately too. So we can ask questions. So we can ch be challenged. So we can challenge others. So that we can pray for. So that we can care for others. So we can partner with others as we enter into battle as an army rather than as a lone soldier where maybe we can confess to each other, where we can hold each other accountable, where we can begin to refocus each other from all the distractions, all the flaming arrows that are around us and say, let's just keep our eyes on Jesus right now. Or maybe we can restore each other when we see the temptation of Satan is just too alluring and maybe some of us give in and we, place, we get people around us and say, let's, let's let go of that and let's prop you back up, let's get you to fall towards Jesus rather than towards this other thing. That's why things like our after-service Zoom meetings, for, after, for those of you that are online, that's why that's so important. Those of you that are here in person, that's why we meet downstairs to, and talk about some of the stuff that we've, that we've been uh, sharing this morning. We do that every Sunday. You know, as Silas was, 
And when I first asked Silas if he would be willing to, to, uh, to do this activity, first thing he said was no. <laughs> and, and so as, as he and I began to talk about, well, I can't tell you what we're going to do. He's like, that's what he asked. He's like, what are we going to do? I said, I can't tell you. And, and, and so but what, what ended up happening, I think this is part of the discernment process that we all go through as God begins to ask us and invite us into following him, is our first response might be, No. And that certainly was my response when God called me to be a pastor. Are you kidding? Not a chance. But the thing is, is that as we begin to, to, as God invites us into something, maybe it's a matter of saying, maybe we say no, but we don't end the conversation there with a period. Maybe it's no comma or no semicolon, and then we can have a conversation about it with Jesus after and say, okay, help me to work through my fears. Help me to work through my hesitations. Help me, to, help me to, to, to discern what it means to follow you, Jesus, because there's a number of things in me that is terrifying. There's a number of things about following you that is absolutely uncertain and scary. So how do I follow you, Jesus, in the midst of that? So instead of, so instead of it being period, it's maybe initially it may be no comma, but I'm open to it. No, but let's talk about it. No, but let's process this. Because there's something in me that's maybe being a little hesitant about saying yes to you first. So help me, to, help me to know that I can trust you. Help me to know that you will catch me when I let go. So we learn to discern. The second is walk his talk. When we secure ourselves to Jesus and put our trust in him, we are actually choosing to walk in the same authority that Jesus walked in. And as we do that, we actually walk in the mission that Jesus has set out for all of us. See, I, I just told us to learn to discern, so we spend time with people who are walking in the same direction as us. But it also means that we have to spend time with people who may not know Jesus at all. That's part of the mission that Jesus places out before us. Jesus says, it says in Matthew, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's that word authority again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Spend time with people who don't know me, is what Jesus is saying. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He's now, I'm, I'm, I've given you instructions. I've given, I'm t- the authority that I have, I'm now passing it on to you to, 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 to do some of these incredible things. And the last promise, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So as you fall back, I'm not going to let you fall. I am with you always. I will carry you. I will walk with you. I will guide you. I will lead you. And as you and I walk in the authority of what Jesus has called each of us into and live in such a way that the truth of who Jesus is as Lord and Savior is reflected in our lives, we embrace the same authority that Jesus lived with because he's given it to us as we help others experience the love of Jesus in their lives as well. Because we can't just keep that authority to ourselves. Because Jesus has given us marching orders to begin to go out into the world and share that same love. The life that Jesus has called us to live is a life that is better, greater, and higher than anything that we could do for ourselves. 
So instead, we give God's voice the highest authority in our lives as we release ourselves into God's arms and put our faith in him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here. So that was so the first one. First one was learn to discern. Second, walk his talk. Third, we must trust. When we are knowing Jesus intimately, when we are discerning his voice in our lives through his word, when we've surrounded ourselves with people who support, care, and love us, when we've chosen to walk in the authority of what Jesus calls us into, we must trust. Jesus has given us everything we need to follow him. He's given us his word, which, by the way, is more than anyone that we read in Scripture. That's more than they had. He's given us his spirit who counsels and guides and directs. He's given us community to know that we aren't alone. He's given us giftings and abilities and wisdom. All that we need to do is trust as we fall backwards. Believe that what Jesus is calling us to do is for kingdom purposes. In the same way that Silas didn't actually know what I was asking him to do when I came up here. All I asked him to do was trust me. Silas, I just, I, just need you to, I just want you to trust me. Reluctantly, admittedly, reluctantly, he, he did, he agreed. Sometimes God doesn't always give us the full picture, does he? Sometimes all he does is invite us to just take one step. He doesn't give us the full picture. Sometimes he just gives us a little, a little puzzle piece. And as we trust in Jesus, we begin to get a fuller picture of what Jesus is inviting us to do. We begin to look back and see in the number of different ways how the picture has actually turned into this giant picture of God's faithfulness in our lives. As we, as we, as we have begun to, this gradual process of trusting Jesus more and more with each decision, with each decision that we make. And maybe for some of us, it's just varying degrees. Maybe it's just a slight shift, slight, slight adjustment of trust on a regular basis. But over time, it becomes this fuller dependence on Jesus. That as you and I step into areas that may be out of our, out of our comfort zone, that like Silas, as we be, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come up on the stage, or I'm going to do whatever it is. I'm going to say yes, Jesus. It's not going to be comfortable, but I'm going to say yes, Jesus. I'm going to trust that as I've let go, that as I fall into your arms, that I'm going to experience your authority, that I'm going to experience your character, because I trust that you're not going to let me fall. And as you do that, Jesus, help me to be more like you. Help, help me to, to, would you shape me to be more like you, Jesus, so that I can walk forward knowing that you have me? Learn to discern. Walk his talk. We must trust. Let's pray. Lord, as we reflect on the reality of who you are, as we reflect on the, the armor of God and the, the shield of faith, Lord, you you give us these, this armor as a, as a way for us to be able to, to know you f- deeper, more intimately, to be able to experience you, to have this, this, this pragmatic expression of knowing you, Jesus. Lord, we, we know that it's not easy to say yes. 
That there is something about that that is, that is, that is scary because of the unknown, because, because there's just lots of questions, Jesus. Jesus, we desire to say yes to you today. Whether we're here in person or whether we're online, you might be whispering. Maybe you've already begun whispering. Maybe this is just the, the last step for some of us to be able to say, yeah, I, I need to say yes to you, Jesus. Maybe it's just something small, but maybe it's something significant and maybe something really big. Either way, big or small, it's significant. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage. Lord, that we would be able to know that the authority that you have, you actually, you're dwelling inside of us as your spirit. Lord, we worship you one last time is in our, in our, through music, the service, and, and pray that you would help us to be able to know what is our response. Maybe as we reflect on that this morning, that you begin to give clarity. That maybe you might use some of our conversations with people around us to, to help discern what maybe your, your voice is, is speaking, Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. That, that when we do trust you, when we do put our faith in you, that shield of faith doesn't, get, doesn't break, it doesn't, it doesn't get, get damaged, but instead you, 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 got, you protect us, you hold us, you, 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 you sustain us in the midst of all the things happening around us, Jesus. We thank you for your strength that you give to each of us. We pray this in your name. Amen.